I think understanding what we're talking about, what we're singing about, is really important. And something I've been thinking about doing for a while, um, and sort of had confirmed to me a few times recently, was that it's a good thing to understand what we're talking about, what we're reading, when we look at the Bible. And we look at the Bible. And this morning, I'm going to do something a bit different. We're actually going to look at the whole Bible. And I'm going to try and move through very fast for those of you who are panicking right now. Um, so it's going to be a very brief overview. Uh, some of you will know all of this already, uh, but I hope it'll be a good listening to it again. Some of you, some of it's going to be fresh. And what we're going to do is try and create a framework that there's going to be no real message, but a framework so that in the future you can hang things onto it and, and just understand how they go in the story. That's, that's the idea. And so it would be really good if you've got a Bible around you somewhere in your pews, if you could take it out, just read through it quickly. No, no, it's all right. <laughs> if you could look up the contents page just before Genesis, I don't think it's got a page number. But, um, yeah, we're going to look at the Bible. As you probably know, the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, that's, the New Testament deals with Jesus and afterwards. The Old Testament is, is before that. <coughs> But it's full of lots of books, and if you look at it quickly in the contents, there are loads of books there. Do you know a good way to remember how many books are in the Old Testament? How many letters in the word old? How many letters in the word testament? You don't need to take your shoes and socks off, go on. Nine. How many books do you reckon are in the Old Testament? Twelve? Thirty-nine. Well, the New Testament, we could do the same trick. How many books in the New Testament? How many words, in, letters in new, rather? In Testament? Well, there aren't 39 books in the um, New Testament, I'm afraid. What's three times nine? 27. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Okay. Um, 66 books in the Bible as a whole. And conveniently, they're all divided into sections, although this isn't marked in your Bibles. They are divided into sections. The Old Testament starts off with history books, books that tell, us, tell the story through. It's followed by a section of writings, books that, that are writings, literature, if you like. And that's followed by a section of prophecy. And believe it or not, the New Testament is divided into exactly the same three sections, history, writings, and prophecy. And if you look at your contents, you'll find all those books from Genesis to Esther are history. Some people are leaning over at the moment. Um, They wouldn't fit if I put them the other way. But you can look at your own contents in your Bibles. Genesis to Esther are history. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, or Song of Solomons, as it's sometimes known, are um, writings or literature. And Isaiah, through to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, they are all prophecy books, books of the prophets. Those three sections. We'll look at the New Testament a little bit later. Don't panic if you think he's almost out of time and we're only halfway through the Bible. Most of it is going to be Old Testament history, and the rest just slots around it. So um, don't panic too much, because you might start after (laughs) the first bit. 
Understanding where it happened helps. That is the Mediterranean Sea you can see up there, the big blue bit. Israel is there, a little bit in the middle. Down there is Egypt. Up there is Assyria and Babylon. I'm only showing you the map because it's useful to know that the Bible tends to refer to things... I'll use the little mouse pointer. Egypt is south, because from Israel you actually have to go south to get there. And I know Assyria and Babylon are actually northeast to east, but the Bible refers to them as north, simply because you can't travel across this bit very easily. You have to go up here and then down the Euphrates River here to get to them. So they're powers and kingdoms of the north... That's really quick. You don't need to understand much more history than that, uh, the geography than that, because I want you to just know it, because the Bible, old te- the Bible history follows a path, a little pattern. It starts off, well, it actually, if we start off in Israel, the, the, um, the orangey bit is, oops, I've lost my notes. The or- yellow bit is Israel in the middle. Okay, the, the place, Israel, Uh, The green bit at the bottom is the south, that's Egypt. The orange bit is the top, and that's the north, which can be Assyria, Babylon, and later Persia. Different powers rule at different times. Don't panic, that's all that you're going to get like that (laughs) to start with. We'll look at the books in a sec. But let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. We pray as we just look at the structure of your Bible that it might be useful, that you might be able to speak to us in future through it. We pray that as we we whiz through it, it will just be useful for the future to help us as we get to know you. Be with us now. Help us, we pray. We invite you to be here now. Amen. Okay, well, the Bible is the story of God interacting with man. It's the story of God working through mankind and speaking to mankind. Okay, we're going to look at the history part of the Bible. Well, they get on and illustrate it for us. Of the Old Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament, the technical name for them is the Pentateuch. I probably pronounced that wrong. But um, it means... um, five scrolls, because like this big long piece of paper here, the Bible was originally written on scrolls. In fact, in the Old Testament, where we come across books where there's a, like kings, there's a one kings and a two kings, there's a one Samuel and a two Samuel, there's only two books because the scroll wasn't big enough to get it all on in one go. They're really just one book split into two pieces. The five scrolls Um, The five fifths of Moses, they were also known as, um, because uh, Moses put them together, wrote them, um, during the time of the Exodus, presumably, and um, the wandering in the desert. Are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. They're also called the Torah in, in Hebrew. Actually, I think that's Greek. And it means the law. No, it is Hebrew. My mistake. Uh, The Pentateuch is Greek. 
Torah is Hebrew. And Genesis, the first... Well... Let me just read. Still getting used to glasses. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the... Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of the God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Genesis, the first 11 chapters, are really a kind of prologue um, to the Bible. They cover the history of mankind and the world in general. And we've got the creation story there, the fall um, in the Garden of Eden, the flood, mankind turns wicked and against God, and God destroys them, taking the only righteous man, Noah, um, and promises never to do that again, uh, destroy them with a flood. But he takes the only righteous man and, and through him to create the people of God. But they rebel. Uh, they decide they're greater than God. They can reach to the heavens, start building a tower called the Tower of Babel. And God destroys it and splits them up into nations. Those, are, those stories are all in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. But then, after chapter 12, uh, chapter 12 we start becoming more specific we start dealing with one man that God calls out of the nations, Abraham. He calls him to be and promises to use him to build a people of God who are dedicated as the people again become more and more generally wicked. And he promises not only to build a great nation, um, a people of God through Abraham, but that his descendants would bless the entire world. And there's a period there which I've labelled patriarchs, which is the name of the father's of Israel, of the nation. And we have Abraham, Isaac, Abraham's son, and then Jacob, um, who God renamed Israel, which is where the name comes from. Israel, or Jacob, had 12 sons who became the tribes of Israel. One of their sons, one of the sons was called Joseph, and you'll probably have heard the story, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, Joseph gets dreams, gets visions of how he's going to be greater than all his brothers and his father. And as any precocious teenager talk, announcing these things, it doesn't go down very well with his family. Uh, his brothers pretend, he, they've ki- pretend he's been killed and send, actually send him off to slavery in Egypt, which is why the graph suddenly shoots down into Egypt Joseph goes to Egypt, but actually becomes a great leader there. You can read the story in Genesis. He saves them from a famine. And in fact, because of the famine, his whole family moved down to join him and are saved from being destroyed by famine in Egypt. 400 years pass in that little gap at the bottom where it says slavery. The people of Israel become slaves. The Egyptians don't like them. They start using them as forced labor. It's not good, and they start calling out to God for help. And that's where the book of Exodus 
starts, the second book of the Bible. And God calls one man to lead them, Moses. Moses becomes their saviour. He's a redeemer. He leads them out of Egypt. There are plagues on the Egyptians who won't let them go, that God sends. The last one involves the death of the firstborn of every family of the Egyptians and the Passover celebration that the um, Jews, the Israelites do, to help them um, to not fall under that plague. The Exodus, when they move out of Egypt, uh, across the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, all those things, and towards the Promised Land, the law-giving, the building of the tabernacle. And in fact, the book of Numbers, the next book in the Bible, um, it's not the next book, Leviticus, the book of Numbers tells the story of the wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to enter the Promised Land the first time. The other two books... Leviticus is really the small print of the law. It's what God gave um, in detail, all the laws that he gave to Israel. Deuteronomy is a contract, it's a covenant between God and man, between the people of Israel and God. And the promises made on both sides. So, that's the first part of the Bible. They're on the edge of the promised land. They're about to move in. Moses dies at that point and then Joshua takes over just as um, at the end of um, that story. Presumably Moses didn't write that bit, Joshua did. I realise we're rushing through so we don't get time for all the exciting bits which are really there but you can go and find those yourself later. Joshua, Judges and Ruth, the next section of the Bible, the next three books. Joshua, they move into the promised land. They cross the Jordan. They bring down um, the walls of Jericho. They conquer the land and they settle the land. And everything goes pretty well for the people of Israel as long as they stay close to God and while Joshua is alive. But Joshua dies eventually. And we move on to the book of Judges. So, as soon as Joshua was dead and people a generation on forgot about him, as so often happens with works of God, the people just weren't really that fussed. And God started punishing them to try and bring them back to him. And he raised up. When they cried out again for help, they realised they actually needed God. He brought to them judges, people to lead them, to save them. And there's just a list of them. We're not going to go through them all. You'll recognise some names from more famous stories like Gideon and Samson. Uh, Deborah, a woman leading Israel at one point. Um, And during these people's times, some of them were local and um, some of them happened at the same time in different parts of the country. During these people's lives, the people again followed God, but afterwards they sort of fell away again. It wasn't a good story. But in the middle of all of this, We have the book of Ruth that follows on. It's happening at the same time. And where all these stories of nations rising and falling, attacking great leaders, Ruth's a very domestic tale about a foreign woman who chooses to follow the God of Israel. And it's just a remarkable story 
of how this one woman um, is loyal to God. And through her, if you look in the, um, I don't just look it up right now, but look in the genealogies of Jesus, a list of descendants in the New Testament. She's there. She's there. Samuel and Kings. Samuel is the last of the judges, possibly at the same sort of time as um, Samson, but um, the last of the major judges. The book's really named because he's the major character at the beginning. He's, he, he actually dies in the, in the first book he, of, of old age. Um, it covers a longer period than that. He's the last judge. He leads Israel. And he anoints the first kings. The people start saying, we don't like this. We don't like not having a king, no proper leader. We want to be like the other nations. They've all got kings. We want one. The problem was, God was their king. God was the king of the nation. And they're basically saying, we don't want you as our king. We want a person. Give us one. And eventually God says, okay, to Samuel, do it. Give them a king. And he gives them King Saul, whom God tells him to. And Saul starts off well, but it it doesn't go well. It goes downhill. And even while Saul is still king, God says, he hasn't followed me, and tells Samuel to anoint a new king, a young shepherd boy called David. And when Saul dies, David actually becomes the main king. He's he's crowned, and it becomes a sort of golden age for Israel when David is king. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he has a heart to follow God. We move on to 1 Kings, and just as, as David dies, his son Solomon becomes king. The temple is built. Um, the tabernacle that they built in the wilderness as a place for God is replaced with a temple, a place to glorify, to worship God in Jerusalem. But even later in his life, Solomon falls away from God. He slips into idolatry. Uh, he doesn't really follow God. But let's think about the temple, the building of that, the establishing of a place of worship for God. The golden age couldn't last. Only two kings, David and Solomon. Then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, after he died, became king, and the people came and said, well... Solomon actually taxed us quite heavily to build all this stuff, and he was quite harsh. Uh, Go easier on us now, would you? And he said, not on your life. I'll be harder. And Israel said, on your bike. We're off. And the kingdom split into two. Only Judah, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, remained loyal to the king. Israel went off and built its new kingdom and had their own kings. That's a list of the kings of, um, of Israel. And as you can see from the little timeline, they didn't last long. They became more and more evil, uh, forgot God, basically, and God punished them. He warned them several times, but he punished them, and he took them off to exile in Assyria. And the northern kingdom pretty much disappeared at that point. The Assyrians invaded and, and destroyed the nation. But in the middle of all that, Two very special people, Elijah and Elisha. God called these men to be prophets. They warned the people. They performed great miracles. And Elijah in particular became a symbol of of a a prophet and of God speaking to people and performing miracles. But they weren't listened to. Judah, on the other hand, did a bit better. 
There's a list of Judah's kings. You'll recognize some, I'm sure. Um, may, probably not all. <laughs> some of them were good. Some of them were very good. Some of them brought the people back to God. Others were pretty grotty. Um, they probably reached a low in Manasseh. Uh, but um, they weren't good. And it slowly got worse. And God kept warning them with prophets. But, but no, in the end... Later, they too were taken off into exile. Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, who invaded from up north. And in, in three little waves, but they're too close to each other to show differently on that chart, they were taken into exile. And that's where the books fall. Um, Samuel covers this period, one and two Samuel cover the period of the kings, and uh, the first kings and the judges. Uh, one and two kings cover that period. Chronicles just so that, you know, cover exactly the same period, the books of Chronicles, uh, probably written after the exile, very concerned about the temple worship, because they're rebuilding the temple at that time, priestly worship, but they do cover the same period. And the writer doesn't really care about northern Israel, he doesn't even consider them much in the story. He just concentrates on Judah, the southern kingdom. And so, it disappears. Israel disappears. They've gone into exile they're alone in a foreign land. Final stretch of the history. The return. Seventy years later, Babylon is defeated by Persia. And Persia's policy is rather different from the Babylonians' one. The Babylonians exile people. Persia wants to send them all back. And Cyrus, the king, repatriates the exiles. And um, the first line back is... um, Zerubbabel leads back a load of the people of Israel. They start rebuilding Jerusalem. But after a while, one man realizes that they're not actually rebuilding the temple of God. They're worrying about their own lives. And the book of um, Ezra tells us about that. He returned in the, in the last little bit of the exile and said, Oi, let's get a move on. Let's build God's house. It's God's that's important. A little while after that, when the temple was rebuilt, Nehemiah, next book in the Bible, Nehemiah comes back to Israel as well, and he, he says, let's be, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they establish a fortified city again, the heart of the nation. Meanwhile, back in exile, there's a plot to destroy the Jews, and that's what the book of Esther covers. It's a book that doesn't mention God by name, not even once. But it tells the story of how he has someone in the right place, like he had Joseph in Egypt. And like later, like he had Daniel in um, Babylon as well. Someone to save the people. Actually, I think the book would make a really good black comedy. But um, that's an aside. And the Old Testament history sort of peters out about 400 BC. And it ends there. The people of Israel are pestered again by surrounding nations, and they have the brilliant idea of sending to the current world power, Rome, and asking for help. didn't turn out too well. Meanwhile, the next book in the Bible is, whoops, I'm just going to ask you something, but I've shown you the answer. What is the best-known verse and books in the, uh, passage in the Bible? It's not um, John 3.16. It's not in the beginning. It's this one. The Lord's my shepherd, 
are not ones. It's the best known verse in the Bible. And it comes from the next section we're going to look at quickly. The writings. It's from the Psalms. Okay, the writings. Um, Poetry, songs, wisdom literature. That's really what the main of the writings are. There's the book of Job, the first one. Talks about the question of suffering. It's probably the oldest book in the Bible, written at the time of the patriarchs, back when Abraham was around. It's certainly set then, if not written then. It's unique. There's nothing else like it at all anywhere. Some people say that it answers the question of suffering. It doesn't. What Job does is it questions the pat answers about suffering that people have. It says, these aren't right. And what it ends up saying is that the answer, or the solution, isn't a pet answer, a pat answer. It's meeting the living God, and the question loses relevance. And that's the story of Job, which is incredibly profound, if you think of, especially of how old it is. The Psalms, the Bible songbook, 150 songs, or 149 if you acknowledge that Psalm, Psalm 53 is really a cover version of Psalm 14. You can check it out later. Mainly during the time of David and on through the exiles, the Psalms were written, and, and into the, um, the return to the land. Some were much earlier. There's one by Moses in there. There are corporate songs of worship. There are very personal prayers. There's praise. There's pleading. There's repentance. There's cause for retribution against enemies. It's very personal. It's all very real. Proverbs pretty much does what it says in the label. A series of wise sayings uh, by the time of Solomon. Ecclesiastes too ascribed to Solomon. It asks, what's the point of it all? Just looking around. What is the point of life without God? Everything is meaningless. It's quite depressing from that point of view. But it says without God, actually, there's no point in anything. And then there's the Song of Songs, um, either written by or ascribed to Solomon. Another unique piece of literature. Some have seen it as um, the story of God's love for Israel. Others claim it's a picture of Christ's love for the church. To be honest, it's an erotic love poem. It might be the other things as well, but that's what it is. We move on to the prophecy, the prophets, God's spokesmen, men called by God to preach his word, to say what he is saying, not just about the future, but what he's saying right now into situations. In a way, that's what preaching is today. It should be God speaking through someone, telling you what's on God's heart. Divided into two sections, major prophets, minor prophets, nothing to do with importance, just how long the books are. Isaiah and Jeremiah are written before the exile. Um, to the people of Judah. At the fall of Judah, that's when Jeremiah's alive, um, Lamentations, which um, Keith read part of to us, just lamenting over what's happened to the nation, ascribed to Jeremiah. In exile, Ezekiel. God appears. He says, I'm not just a God of that land there, I can be here too. And he promises a future. Daniel. Daniel contains a lot of history. Um, as well about what happens in exile and God's speaking about the future the minor prophets the list of them I'm not going to tell you any more you can look them up um, but they preach throughout north, northern Israel southern Israel, Judah and some to foreign nations like Jonah to, um, to Nineveh the New Testament 
I told you this last bit was quick. Same sections, history, the life of Jesus, the Saviour comes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospels, very similar. Mark was probably written first. Um, the early church says it was written by, uh, by John Mark, but as told by Peter. So in a way, it's Peter's Gospel. Uh, he spent a lot of time with Peter. Matthew and Luke use large parts of it, um, of Mark, and um, they write the rest. John is very different. He doesn't even, a single, there's not a single parable in John's Gospel, but there are signs all pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Saviour, the Messiah. Acts, Luke's sequel, the continuing story of the church after Jesus has risen and ascended. The Holy Spirit comes. The gospel ceases because of persecution. It's spread throughout the land and then throughout the world eventually. That's why the chart opened out at the end. The gospel goes out to the whole world. The writings of the New Testament, the Acts tells too of the conversion of Paul, an enemy of the gospel, who becomes its greatest evangelist. And he spends a lot of time in prison, which is quite good for us, because he wrote a load of letters there, which become the bulk of the New Testament. John's, uh, Paul's letters are named after the people they're written to. Um, written to the Roman church, written to the Corinthian church, and there are two letters, that's not like the Old Testament, there are separate letters. He writes to all of them, and there's the teaching of the New Testament in them. To individuals as well, with Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And we have them. The church treasured them, kept them, copied them, and they became the bulk of the New Testament. Hebrews was originally thought to be written by Paul, but possibly wasn't, probably wasn't. Other, other names have been suggested, no one's sure. But a very Jewish um, style of writing uh, in what he says. The last few letters of the New Testament, the writings, are written to, um, are named after the people who wrote them. They're, they're the authors, the names, as they write to different churches and to different people. You've got Peter there, the disciple, James, Jesus' brother, John, the disciple, and Jude, the other one who was known as Judas, um, as well, the two Judases. Um, Jude was his other name. The very last section. Prophecy, one book, Revelation. Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Prophecy. And I appear to have lost my last sheet. Never mind. We come full circle. The Apostle John is in exile in Patmos because of the persecution. Jerusalem has fallen to the Romans, probably about 30 years before. There's a lot of persecution against the Christians and he writes um, to uh, just to reassure the people of Israel. God speaks to him, Jesus appears to him and tells him to basically take down a letter and dictates it. And he records his vision of, of, of heaven and the future. And it's a reassuring tale for the church. It's a very Old Testament book in many ways. It harks back to things from, oh, uh, from Daniel Things from Ezekiel, bits of Zechariah um, are in there. He reiterates the visions that they had. He uses Babylon as a code name for Rome because it would be a little indiscreet to pass a letter out that condemned Rome when you were imprisoned by the Romans. But the Bible comes full circle in Revelation. In Genesis, we have a Satan represented as a snake 
deceiving the people. In Revelation, that snake has grown fat, and it's now a dragon, represented by a dragon. But the dragon is defeated and cast into hell. In Genesis, death enters the world. In Revelation, death and hell are destroyed. There's a fallen world at the beginning, and there's a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation, the promise. Suffering enters the world in Genesis, and there is no more crying in Revelation. There is death for sin at the beginning and throughout, but at the end, eternal life. The tree of life is removed from man, and he's thrown out from God's presence. Revelation, he's welcomed into God's presence. And there are trees of life, both sides of the river, flowing from the kingdom of heaven. There's a curse in Genesis. Cursed is the ground because of you. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The curse that's still on us The promise in Revelation, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will reign forever and ever. An amazing promise of what God is going to do, where it's all going to end up, It's been a very quick overview of the entire Bible and I've just about finished in time. I was a bit worried about that, but we have. I'm sorry in a way that we had to skim it so fast. I hope it's been helpful and not too boring. It's been a bit lectury. If you want to find out more about the Bible, um, please read read it, get books on it. I I learned a lot of it from the Lion Handbook to the Bible. That's how I first started to learn about the structure. I'd recommend it, and there are several other books you can get. If you want some free resources and you have a computer, you can look up some websites, and there's free software that's excellent and available. Um, Jonathan at the back has copies of that chart you can have, and it tells you the websites to look at, and ones you can look things up on. And if you would like to take away some amazing free Bible software that really is good. I gave Simon a copy and he said it was better than stuff he'd paid £100 for. Um, Jonathan will copy discs for you unless there are too many asking for it, in which case um, we'll get them for you for next week. Uh, Feel free to um, to ask him. I just really hope you'll want to look in the Bible and know where to hang things, know where things fit together. That's, That's my biggest prayer. I hope it inspires you. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away words from the prophecy of this book, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.